a real conversation and some hard truths. Gangs, drugs, and guns, giving a voice to those willing to sacrifice. We have stories that need to be told. We have lessons that need to be taught. Protect and serve. Welcome to The Quiet Professional. Hey everybody, welcome back. Nathan Rome is with you again. Today, I have John Simpson back on the show. He previously appeared on Season 2, Episode 23, but in case you missed it, John is a veteran of the U.S. Army with over 40 years of practical experience. He's an instructor with Snipercraft Incorporated. He is also a research historian and has authored several books on the fundamentals and advanced tactics of marksmanship and sniper skills. Also, he's got a new book out, which he was kind enough to send ahead of, uh, ahead of time so I could read through it, Foundations of Patrol Rifle Marksmanship, which we will get into along with a bunch of other topics today. So, John, welcome back. Good to be back. Um, we were just chatting kind of before we got this started, but uh, yeah, you, you've got a bit, bit of things going on in life, new book, yep. grandkids maybe coming along the way here. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, you've been a busy guy. <laughs> yeah yeah trying to trying to stay busy uh one thing i didn't ask you actually on the last show that i was thinking about today was uh have you ever taken part in sniper competitions or any kind of shooting competitions yourself i don't think we ever covered that no um i haven't it's uh it was it's one of these things going back to uh my active duty time uh just prior to retiring it's like uh we uh, at Ten Special Forces Group, we created the uh, we created uh, what we're calling the International Sniper Competition at Fort Devens, and I was I was one of the um, uh, the organizers for that. Oh, okay, and uh, yeah, so basically, when I was when I was doing this, there really when I was on active duty, there really weren't a lot of sniper competitions that you could go to, hmm. and um, uh, so the thing is, it's like they, they, they this started off where uh, the 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 guys down the guys down at Fort Bragg had a sniper competition, and um, it was one of these deals where somebody in our chain of command was like, "Hey, you know, we could do that," and um, you know. Uh, 10 special forces group the focus is always on winter warfare so we're like hey let's do a let's do a winter sniper competition mm. and um it and uh, and the trouble is it's like everything everything always has to be a competition so uh it was one of these things where hey you know we can call um you know so we're like calling all these military units and then it was a case of hey let's uh let's leave it let's get it open to law enforcement and um you know guys were going hey uh yeah we can we can call the fbi oh you're gonna call the fbi well i'm gonna call the secret service oh yeah you're gonna call, you know so it just exploded <laughs> yeah and the thing and the thing just snowballed and um uh it, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun we had a uh we had a known distance portion that i designed we had a uh unknown distance field fire and um we had a uh, urban shoot the less said about the better and um and the thing is it was it was at this point in my career it's like i was a couple years away from retirement and um 
I had actually designed the known distance course of fire to basically cut the legs out from all the ways that people normally cheat in uh, in sniper tests. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So um, so for instance, uh, without going into uh, actually the um, my very first book, uh, which came out in 2010 called Sniper's Notebook, and it's only available through me. And I actually have a chapter in there where I talk about, um, uh, I actually list the course of fire. So um, I won't go into the entire thing, but uh, the one that I was most proud of, and we'll be talking about movers later, was basically the movers competition. And um, uh, most people's moving moving target training is like it's ridiculous and um so what my what my uh my partner uh my partner at the time and i did is we you know basically we we came up with the normal sequence at the time like when you went to sniper school at fort bragg you know you would get um a left to right walker a right to left walker left to right fast walker right to left fast walker okay and then uh, and then a, a running target so what we did was we wrote that down we cut out the individual slips of paper tossed them into a beret took them up and we would pull them out at random and then write them down on these cards so we had a card for every firing point and so basically we created randomized movers okay so yeah because um there was this whole thing in SF at the time that, you know, we were, you know, we were uh, training people to engage these 600 yard movers. And I wanted to put the lie to that as it's, it was, you know, with a canned exercise, it's like, well, okay. Yeah. So now it's going to be left to right mover left to right at this speed. And we're going to lead it this much and on and on. And the thing is, it's like, I was down in the pit running this thing. And uh, uh, my friend Mike was running the line, and uh, as you, you should have seen the reaction the first time the uh, when we called the line hot, the the targets came up. Some were on the left, and some were on the right, and then they all took off at different speeds. And it and the results were pretty much as, as you would have expected. <laughs> so it's like. You know, so basically, I was trying to inject some real world into this. Yeah, you know, where it was like, okay, yeah, you can, you know, you 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 take pride in the fact that you know you you, know, you went to a school where, you know, theory, you know, yeah, technically you're shooting at six hundred yard movers, but the thing is, it's like, you know, in in real life, if you know somebody comes, you know, somebody starts avoid, you know. He stops cooperating with your efforts to shoot him. Yeah. And he's like 550 meters away uh, for your Canadian audience. Um, <laughs> we appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Yeah. Um, uh, so the thing is, it's like, uh, you know, you're, you're shooting at somebody at 550 meters away. And if you don't know ahead of time, the direction and the speed then all of a sudden your your mind goes into vapor lock and um you're not able to do it the one thing i take away from that though is 
Uh, I like how you say they, they do like the little things to kind of cheat when they get to these tests or these tournaments. And I think about uh, some of the stories I've heard with police. I've never done any of this. I swear on my life. But uh, I've heard of people like, you're on the line to do your pistol call. You know, people leave their, their mag pouch uh, snaps undone. It's just like one less step, one little thing. Right. One less safety on the gun is, is uh, holding you back. So yeah. they do all these little things. Yeah. So the thing is, it's like, it's gamesmanship and mm. it's just, so um, like, uh, you know, staying in the sniper realm, I was, I was watching a video of, uh, you know, a lot of people like reach out to, um, you know, target shooters. And the thing is, it's like, uh, there was this one interview of a world famous, uh, rifle shooter at like the shot show. And he was given his advice on how to read the wind. And the thing is, it's like you know, a lot of snipers. I mean, how you know, hey, I could get advice from this guy to read the wind, mm. you know, do my job better. And like his number one thing was, is hey, you know, hold back a little. When the guy shooting next to you, uh, you know, when you know when he's shooting at his bullseye target. Uh, wait until his target is marked and see where his spotter is, and then you can adjust the wind that way. And I'm going, yeah, I mean, how's that, how's that supposed to help me? Uh, you know, shooting some guy, you know, 700 meters away. Yeah. Avoid, you know, avoiding, you know, you know, try not cooperating with my efforts to shoot him. Two different goals. Okay? I mean, right. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, um, well, we'll, uh, we'll get into a whole bunch of that in the book when we talk about uh, some yeah. of the stuff because that is one of the main parts you have in there is about hitting moving targets. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll kind of start there and just talk about this okay. new book. I just want to kind of start the beginning of it though. And I was listening to you on. I want to. I hope I get the name right. Everyday Marksman podcast. Yes. So you yes. were on that, and you were talking about uh, the new book a little bit. So. Uh, for people who haven't heard that, but uh, maybe you can tell us how this book kind of came to be. And it's it's very applicable to police. So hopefully people are paying attention here. Right. So um, the the credit for the idea of this book goes to um, uh, Lieutenant Joe Bucco, who's the, uh, um, he is the um, uh, law enforcement business development manager for my publisher, Blue 360 Media. And, uh, he's, he's an active, he's an active cop. And, uh, so the, as you know, my, um, you know, blue 360, uh, published the revised and expanded foundations of sniper rifle marksmanship. Yes. And I was sitting around talking to Joe and he goes, you know, um, there's a lot more police officers carrying patrol rifles than there are sniper rifles. And he goes, well, would it, you know, I'm thinking that, um, you know, you could just go through this thing, scrub, you know, scrub the word sniper and, uh, replace it with the word patrol rifle and, um, you know, modify a couple things. And, you know, you'd have a book on patrol rifle marksmanship. I was like, yeah, let me, let me work on that. Well, turned out it, just like just like most ideas that you know you can sketch out on the back of a napkin at lunch, it's like it looks really easy sitting there on the napkin, but putting it <laughs> into practice is like extremely difficult. 
So, um, so it was one of these deals where, well, it's a, it's a different weapon system, uh, for people that have read the first sniper that, that read the sniper book. And when they read this, yeah, there's a couple chapters that were able to carry over and, and, you know, that was intentional. Yeah. Uh, but I had to, so basically I had to like address the situation. I had to address the, the weapon training from the ground up and incorporate a lot of things that um we used to do with um iron sighted rifles uh back in the day mm-hmm. and um and the thing is it's like you know, i i would you know i'm i'm still extremely grateful to joe for the idea because the one of the first thing that i did whenever i engage in a project like this it's like you always want to do a uh, what's called a literature review. And this is that, this is that research historian thing. Okay. So what you do is is you have to, before you go out and change the world, you need to establish the baseline of where we are right now. Okay. So you have to, you have to know what it is before you try to improve something. And I, you know, I have an entire chapter in the book on that. Yep. And, uh, so the thing is, it's like, I, you know, um, my, my friends in law enforcement were good enough to send me their training programs and a number of, um, uh, agency patrol rifle programs or, or public record. And I was able to look at that. And I saw a very disturbing trend where more often than not, and th- this isn't, you know, this, this isn't every agency, but the thing is, this isn't the exception either. An agency makes the decision to, have their officers carry patrol rifles <clears throat> and you know uh nathan gets called in you know this is your rifle you know this is how you take it apart put it together now go ahead uh lay down on this range do 20 rounds at this target 100 yards away uh, 100 meters away and uh when you stand up yeah, certified. You know, you're qualified to operate a patrol rifle. And I'm going. That ain't gonna work. Okay. I mean, you, uh, you know, I, I I mentioned previously, and I covered this in the Everyday Marksman, is that what what most people neglect to do is that you have to define the target. You know, Define the circumstances and define the target that you're going to be operating under. And then you work backwards from that to come up with your training standards. But the other thing that you have to do, and which I saved for your podcast, is you also have to come from the other direction where you have to look at the weapon that you're now carrying, look at those capabilities, yes, and then that moves forward. Okay, so you proceed forward from the capabilities of this new weapon, and you proceed, and then you proceed backwards from the desired target that you're going to engage, and then your your training strategy is is in the middle of that. Yeah. So on that, and you bring up some good points. A few things here. Um, one is so I just did our uh, uh, carbine recertification, and in the course, it a good part where. They basically have, we have a three-sided range, so 270 degree range, and they've got all these cars that are all shot up, but they put targets in the cars, behind the cars, and we don't have the capability to make the targets move, 
but we can move. So we're practicing shooting while walking, um, shooting, you know, running to a point, then stop, shoot, um, shooting on different angles around pillars, around vehicles. So I thought that was a very good way to uh, get us kind of moving and shooting and just seeing what it's like to be in those gunfights because it does happen. And the other part was uh, when we when you start the course, you deploy out of a car. So you're also getting used to having this rifle with a steering wheel in front of you. Right. And you're kind of jammed in this car. And, you know, your first two targets are standing right at the, the hood of your car. So now you got to try and get this thing up and wave it around and engage targets. So, you know, the more training you can do like that, especially uh, for police nowadays, that the that's very important. So the other thing I like about your book, and I um, wanted to say this was, the way you write is very much the way you talk. So it's kind of funny because you call out a lot of the myths and and different things in your book and say like, you know, don't do it like this guy says or don't do this. And here's the reasons why. And you back it up with some research. So I just really appreciate the way you write it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard that before. <laughs> that's, that's the secret to my success. I just write the way that I talk. Probably the easiest. You just don't have to pretend to be anybody. You just... Write what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I'm. It's just like I'm. I'm teaching a class. So, uh, talking about some of these moving targets, though, um, I guess what you were saying is like working from the 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 target backwards. Four characteristics of patrol rifle targets. So, this is a section in the book. And I'm just going to talk about a couple sections. People can get the book if they want to read the whole thing. Um, and I I would honestly recommend uh, for carbine programs. It would be nice, this is my opinion, it would be nice to have a book like this ahead of time to almost read it before you go into the course because then there's just some things, like you won't understand all of it, but things will start to click as you're going through and doing these. You're like, oh yeah, I read that or this is what they meant by that, especially for the positions and how to structure your bones and get everything kind of lined up. But um, one of the big things there was four characteristics of a patrol rifle target. So there was dynamic, non-cooperative, robust, and restricted. So I just kind of want to go through each one of these with you, uh, maybe have you kind of uh, flesh them out. Sure. So with dynamic, so the target changing shape, you actually have quite a bit in there about target facing you as opposed to sideways. So you can just talk about some of that. Sure. So basically... Um... You know, all you got to do is just look at yourself in the mirror when um, you're facing somebody. Um, you know, typically you're, uh, and I'm going to keep this in inches. It's like uh, basically you're 19 inches across at the shoulders. Yep. And when you turn 90 degrees and you look at your image, now most you know, depending on the percentile, it's like most people are like nine inches from their sternum to their spine. So the thing is, it's like the dimensions of the target have changed in relation to how it's uh, turned towards you. Yeah. And then, um, you know, as I say, basically, um, you know, as far as changing shape, you know, we have, um, uh, we have E and F type silhouettes in the States and, uh, you know, the E type represents a dealing man and the F type represents a prone man. And the thing is, it's like, well, when you give it a moment's thought, 
somebody who's standing can go to kneeling and then flatten out into prone or somebody who's in the prone can uh you know come up to kneeling and the thing is it's like you know dynamic just means that you know unlike a you know, the static targets that were required to use, just looking at the outline, the target is literally changing shape. Yes. At, at a moment's notice. And we have to be able to accommodate that. And so, you know, because once again, because these all build on each other. And um, one of the, one of the key things that I picked up in the 80s teaching at Fort Bragg was that um, and this goes back into sniper marksmanship. Sniper marksmanship is actually rapid fire marksmanship. And the trouble is it's like everybody wants to emphasize the slow fire because that produces the best groups. And it also, you know, emphasizing the, you know, the, the trigger squeeze and everything else. And the thing is, it's like when you're once non-cooperative targets come into the picture, then all of a sudden doing this whole Danny Glover in the lethal weapon thing with, you know, rolling your neck and, you <laughs> yeah. know, loosening your shoulders and, you know, lining up for the shot. Then all of a sudden it's like, well, yeah, that is as stupid as, you know, it appears yeah. because the thing, is, yeah. Um, you know, and and this is all this is actually all stuff that was known as you know far back as the 1920s. If anybody looks at um, the work by uh, um, uh, William Fairbairn with the Shanghai Municipal Police, um, you know, back in the you know back in the early 1900s, like he was he was dealing with this stuff on a daily basis, and it just uh, unfortunately in periods of in periods where you're not waking up, you know, where you're not getting up every morning and getting into a gunfight in an opium den, then all of a sudden it's like, you know, target shooting, target shooting rules the day, particularly in the United States. Yeah. Well, and even the dynamic part about it is, I think that also uh, is a very easy way to dispel all these um, rumors or thoughts of, Hey, why don't you just shoot the gun out of the person's hand? Why don't you just kneecap them? It's like, this is, it's hard enough to hit the torso of something. Correct. I'm never going to hit the arm. That is pure luck. <laughs> so, so, so yeah. So to address this at 10th group, um, what we did is, is we, we created a compound target and, uh, cause our, our moving targets, you know, was very sophisticated. We had, you know, wooden stakes with, uh, that a guy would hold walking behind a berm and uh we would um you know nail a uh cut down mover to it and it was one of these things i'm looking at this going hey wait a minute because uh the i was trying to i was always trying to get the guys to shoot faster and one of the problems that you will see in sniping just watch a video sometime of like military or you know police snipers and you'll see where they'll fire, and then you're just laying there behind the scope, looking through the scope, and they don't even work the bolt. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like, well, you know, dude, I mean, anything can happen. Right? You're now facing, 
you're now facing in the direction of the bad guy with an, an empty weapon, okay, an empty cartridge case in the chamber. So what we did was is we took a, a cut-down mover target, and then on the around the corner on the stake, we hammered up a full-size silhouette so that when the the full you know the we'd raise the full-size silhouette over the berm and then the guys would shoot at it well the thing is it's like you know we tell them hey if somebody shoots at what what are you gonna do are you gonna stand there while they're going you know while the partners are going hey where where did that one go i don't know hey where where were you aiming where where did i tell you that you know mm-hmm. and uh yeah and the thing is it's like um so we'd have it where hey all of a sudden that target would now turn it would become a cut down mover and then they had to try and shoot it as it was like running away for it it was like running to cover okay yeah and that freaked people out so uh you know so it it, it always it always came down to like look you know i i understand and you know and i make this point in the book the the key to, the key to understanding this stuff is is that you go to the range as a means to an end, not as an end in itself. And I think that's where a lot of people just have a disconnect, where all that you know they're they're worried about how they can do better on the range. Yeah, but it doesn't always translate into what's going to help them out in the street. Yeah, you got to practice more of the the realistic drills not just go in for your your quals right and that's all you do yeah and and the way to do that is is what you know once again you define the nature of the target and then work backwards from that okay because if you just you if you go to the range and come up with a capability it may or may not deal with that particular target Mm -hmm. but if you you know if you sit down and you stipulate okay this is what the targets you know this is what the target is like. This is the, um, that's why I included that list of um, characteristics from the 1950s train fire program. I mean, train fire had some limitations and it had its controversies. But one of the things that, you know, I can't disagree with is one of the things they, one of the main core things they did was they sat down with a sheet of paper and they said, okay, this is the target that, w- this is the characteristics of the target that we're going to design this training program for our trainees to hit. And, it, it, you know, and, and at the time it was just like, okay, so, you know, in, in the 1957, you know, um, 1957, it's like, okay, the majority of targets are going to be within 300 yards. So we're going to plan the training around that. And targets are often obscured and we're going to, we're going to deal with that. And then piece by piece, they came up with, um, okay, this is the training strategy to engage that target that we defined. And that was the inspiration for the whole four characteristics thing. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, so with the dynamic, it's like basically targets can change shape and targets can move. And it kind of is, it goes in tandem with this non-cooperative. So that's the other part. Yes. Where you're talking about the target is trying to avoid you. So now the, the target like knows you're there. Correct. And they're doing things to actively evade you. Right. Uh, maybe stacking things, fortifying, barricading. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, that's it's, it's slightly it's different from dynamic because now they're like taking proactive measures like uh, concealing themselves, limiting their exposure, taking cover, yeah, um, shooting back. Okay, but they're not standing there waiting for you to get your you know waiting for you to get your act together with um, you know we're, I mean I. It, rather than overthink it, I just keep coming back to, hey, you're not cooperating with your efforts to shoot them. And you had a really good part in the book too about uh, the the using the iron sights between a rifle and a pistol, and how you were measuring. Yes. Uh, the what do we call it? The, like the the plus minus error on like a distant target, though. Yes. And I just thought that was a really good explanation to show why. Uh, a rifle is so effective right. compared to a pistol and just where which one has its place and when one is really good up close you know for movement and, and different things you have a pistol for that the rifle has a lot more capability as soon as you start hitting a certain distance right um so yeah i, I think people get a lot out of that part especially especially people in training sections tactical sections um that's a really good uh description and you kind of go through all the measurements of you know if people want to figure this out right for themselves uh it was really useful well yeah because what yeah one of, one of simpson's laws has always been if i can't show you the math it's just my opinion <laughs> and um the, the trouble is that tends to make i mean um uh sniper's notebook that has like how everything was figured out and um you know all of these all of these different formulas for like unknown distance shooting and and everything else and it just it, it intimidates a lot of people um yeah but the thing is it's like you know 50 years from now with a caliber that hasn't even been invented uh somebody can like sit down with the sniper's notebook go okay i'm gonna plug these numbers in and then i'm going to come up with the solutions for my current situation mm -hmm. okay well, um, so the thing is, so I included the, and you, you can tell by the ballistic section in the books that, you know, basically I'm, I'm trying to get people to calm down, right? Because it's like, they, they start to overthink this stuff. And as, as I've written before, a, a lot of these ballistics formulas were used by artillerymen for lobbing shells, uh, you know, a bazillion kilometers away. Oh, okay. And the thing is, technically, yeah, you can you can take the numbers from a a rifle and plug them into this formula, and you'll come up with a with an answer. But the thing is, it's like you're, you're talking about a difference that makes absolutely no difference. So um, when I cover, so like when I talk about um, you know powder temperature. I go into a number of pages and I actually do, a, I, I show an experiment that I did, um, which it actually, it actually did, it's a summary because it actually takes up an entire chapter in the sniper's notebook. And um, the thing is, it's like, I just, it's just to show people that they can trust me when I tell them, yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah. Okay. And um, so the thing is, it's like, I included the stuff on, you know, com you know, comparing the sight radius between a, you know, 
Sight radius uh, for the audience is the distance between the back of the front sight and the front of the rear and the rear sight. So it, it's the distance. And, um, you know, that one you can do in centimeters. And uh, so basically, um, the rule of thumb is, is that the longer the sight radius, the less critical the sight alignment is. Yeah. And uh, a lot of, see, a lot of target shooting books, they're going, well, yeah, you know, you got to line up the sights and everything like that, you know. I, you know, the, the, the sight alignment is so critical and everything. And it's like, yes, it's important. But the thing is, as I demonstrate it, as I demonstrate in the patrol rifle book, basically, you know, just for any, any law enforcement range, uh, where you're going to be using a, um, you know, a, a, a five, five, six rifle or something like, you know, Given the diameter of the rear sight and given the width of the front sight, as long as you can see that front sight in there, it doesn't matter if it's centered. Yeah. Because we're not worried about putting one hole through the next hole. Like the bullet isn't yeah, just exactly. keep going. We're just trying to get uh, rounds on target, not spraying everywhere, but rounds on target downrange. Exactly. You know, and it may not even be somebody that's trying to, you know, shooting back at you. It's a case of, you know, repulsive Brogan is standing there with a Molotov cocktail, getting ready to throw it into a police car. And hey, you know what? School solution says I got to shoot this guy. And um, so the thing is, it's like that isn't the time to start. Get your breathing cycle down. You know, getting comfortable, you know, adjusting. <laughs> you know, check everything. You know, and you know, and it was like. Um, and the thing is, I can't even take credit for that. This was actually uh, a lot of the stuff that's in the patrol rifle book. The credit actually goes to an organization in the U.S. in the U.S. Army called the Army Research Institute. And as much as people want to badmouth uh, Army rifle marksmanship, these guys, guys and gals, were tasked to do a research program to go. You know what? We've been you know, we, we've been, you know, staggering back and forth with all this stuff. And it's like, we want to have effective soldiers as far as rifle marksmanship goes. Why don't you do some research like they did back in the train fire days and figure out what the best practices are? And that was one of the things they did. They yeah. said, look, under the current program, there's too much emphasis on sight alignment. And they're the ones that first came up with, yeah, you can do the math where given the given the sight radius and the diameter of the rear sight and the width of the front sight you can figure out that well as long as you can see the entire front sight somewhere within that little circle this is the maximum error that you're going to have downrange and then once you define the target you go well you know I can live with that error yeah you know, that that kind of thing well, and speaking of the error, maybe we'll jump to the fourth point I had listed because it'll be super quick. Restricted. It's basically the policy, your your organization's right. policy and use of force continuum and, and all the things that say when you can and can't shoot or yep. you know who who's giving orders as opposed to uh, reactive authority. Yeah. So that's restricted. 
but I want to go back to uh, robust. So right. from what I understood with this one, this is talking about um, the type of round you're using and wound ballistics. Correct. Yeah. So this is, um, and I don't get too much into wound ballistics in, in public forums. I, I learned wound ballistics from a very good friend of mine, the late Dr. Martin Fackler. And if you're in the business of someday maybe shooting somebody or getting shot out yourself, Martin Fackler is somebody that you need to base your life on his teachings. And um, he was, uh, just real quick, um, he was a surgeon in uh, Vietnam. Fast forward, uh, as a colonel, he was asked to uh, stand up and be the first and command the Army Wound Ballistics Laboratory out in um, video in California. And if ever heard of anybody using, um, you know, a certain percentage of ordnance gelatin to uh, test the wounding potential of bullets. He's the guy that did that. He's the guy who came up with that. Okay. All right. And he, uh, we got along really well because um, some of the article, some of the titles of the articles that he would write was um, uh, a wound ballistics literature, a 20 year step backwards, or what's wrong with the current wound ballistics literature and why. And he was able to prove everything that he said, and um, he dispelled a lot of myths. And um, he is—he's severely missed in the community. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So if um, yeah, start googling Martin Fackler. You can find a lot of his stuff online. And um, you know, he'll—he basically, uh, um, you know, he—he he dispelled the whole hydrostatics shock nonsense and uh you know a uh a 556 will uh you know hollow a man out inside and and everything else so um so the thing is it's like um the best way to talk about wound ballistics and i i, I tell this to i tell this to students is exterior ballistics is like newtonian physics okay a times B always equals this, all right? And two plus two equals four. And, you know, Newtonian physics, you know, for something that was developed by, you know, you know, uh, you know Isaac Newton wearing a, you know, wearing a, a, a wig and everything else, that's still what we use to cut. That's, that's what NASA used to calculate the first trajectory to the moon for Apollo 8, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, that's exterior ballistics. Hey, you know what? This this influence comes in. This is the time of flight of the bullet. I do this math. This is what I put on my sights. Okay. More often than not, it's right. Okay. That's exterior ballistics. Wound ballistics, that's like quantum mechanics. Okay. That's where nobody under, you know, nobody understands it. Oh, you know, all, you know, the people that are in it, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, it's it, it, it's obvious, you know, it's obvious to us. But trying to explain it to somebody, yeah, uh, you know, you have to come up with a thought experiment. And uh, so basically, I tell people, I said, look, here's the problem with wound ballistics. 
you have identical twins standing side by side. You shoot them in the same spot with the same type of bullet from the same type of rifle on the same day. One of them drops down dead and the other one yells, ow, why'd you shoot me? <laughs> and I go, and that is the best. That's the simplest explanation of wound ballistics that I have. I think it's a pretty good explanation. <laughs> Thanks. I've, yeah, I've, I've been refining. Yeah, like you say, I've, I've 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 been refining it for like the last four decades. But uh, yeah, that's that's the problem with wound. But and then when, when somebody wants you to explain wound ballistics, they always want you to do it standing on one foot. Okay, mm. and you know you can't because then you're talking about uh, you know. The, the the center of gravity on the uh, center of gravity on the bullet and uh you know the the yaw factor and the stability factor and um you know and and everything else well everything and not not even every round is is made exactly the same i mean there's tolerances right. in different things but you you just truly never know maybe that kind of brings us on to one other thing though was um a point that you want to talk about this uh ukraine yes, mi- yes. Uh, miracle sniper so what is this? Okay, I, I tried looking this up. I couldn't find much. So I'm wondering. I'm curious. Yeah. Too. Well, it it kind of disappeared. But um, so um, so basically, um, in a you, you can find this um online this 22 November 2022 article from Popular Mechanics magazine, and there was a writer by the name of Ayo Mizukami. And he published an essay titled, A Ukrainian Sniper Might Have Made the World's Second Farthest Kill. And um, so the Ukrainian army had announced that uh, a sniper had made a shot killing a Russian soldier at a distance of 1.68 miles. And they supposedly had video evidence of this taken through uh, from the digital feed off of a thermal uh, weapon site. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so, um, I got one of those calls from, uh, Derek Bartlett at Snipercraft. Okay. You know, I would, and it, that's how the, that's how these often start. Okay. Because, um, I'll, I'll be minding my own business. I mean, I'm at, my, I'm in my office doing something that I think is reasonably important. And all of a sudden I either get a phone call or an email from Derek going, Hey, uh, I need an answer on this. And um, the upside is, is it usually turns into a, a, a pretty good article, but um, or a pretty interesting article. So um, so the announcement came from uh, uh, the Ukraine military on 13 November of uh, 2022. And um, I actually had the official statement here and I, I won't read the entire thing, but the occupier w- was eliminated by a precise shot of our commandos from a distance of 2,710 meters, a distance that now ranks second in the world, confirmed by the command of the armed forces. Um, and then we were reminded that the first place in the world is occupied by a shot of a Canadian sniper at a distance of 3,540 meters while performing a task in Iraq. And then um, they were talking about um Craig Harrison of the British Army who uh, who they said they they knocked out of second place um so the thing is it's like so this author for in popular mechanics writes uh 
quote, although the shot was difficult, it was not impossible, and the claim may well be true. And um, I responded by going, uh, non-snipers talking about sniping are like virgins talking about sex. They do it with enthusiasm and ignorance. <laughs> and um, this, guy, this guy proved me right. Yeah, once again. Uh, he was doing stuff like, um, you know, well, you know, you know, gravity, gravity is what slows down bullets. And I'm going, I'm sitting here reading it going, yeah, stupid me. I always thought it was like, you know, wind resistance, but, um, anyway, uh, so they assumed that they did it with a 14.5, uh, millimeter, uh, uh, sniper round. And, um, so the thing is, it's like, because they had the video, I was able to I was able to do an analysis of it because all you see is you see the the white dot of the uh, the white blob of the Russian soldier mm-hmm. coming up. You see the uh, you you see the image white out because of the muzzle blast, and then after a period of time, you see the the white blob drop down supposedly dead so um because in in the states for for testing for testing new armored vehicles we the requirement is actually to use the 14.5 millimeter um anti-armor round so because of that uh because because we have uh because the u.s military contracts to supply that right to get that round supplied to them for testing we uh we actually i had access to what the ballistics are so i was able to you know basically figure out what the time of flight would be for that distance yeah and um so so basically it's like um and i'm going to have to i'm going to have to uh, swing back to swing back to yards again but um so that's fine. People can figure it out if they need to. <laughs> yeah. To, to, well, to fly three thousand to fly three thousand yards, uh, it takes the bullet six point forty eight seconds to fly that distance. And um, so the thing is, in the in the Ukraine video, they were basically saying that the bullet had to uh, the bullet was able to uh, cross that distance in like two point seven four seconds. Okay. So, you know, over six seconds, under three seconds. Yeah, that's quite a discrepancy. Basically, the way, yeah, basically the way that it works. Once again, this is like ignorance of this is ignorance of ballistics. It's a common mistake trying to figure out the time of flight for a bullet by looking at the muzzle velocity and dividing that into the range. So basically, when you when you look at the muzzle velocity of the bullet and you look at the distance fired, um, yeah, it would take like 2.74 seconds, but that's assuming that the bullet doesn't slow down Correct. as yeah. it, as it travels that, as it travels that distance. Okay. As it travels, you know, you know, 2750 meters. So, uh, so the thing is, it's like, yeah, that, this one, this one was extremely easy to bust. Because um, whoever had uh, whoever had come up with this press release hadn't uh, hadn't looked into hadn't looked into it and didn't realize that bullets slow down as they travel down range, and it 
it doesn't arrive at the target as fast as it was traveling when it left the muzzle. So is the British guy still number two? Or did, did you call up? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Far, yeah, far <laughs> as I know, Craig Harris. Yeah, Craig Harris. Uh, yeah, former former Corporal of Horse Craig Harris is uh, still number two. Okay, good. Well, it's just funny how they, you know, they make all these claims. And I always wondered that, you know, how do you even confirm somebody three kilometers away behind enemy lines is right dead? Like maybe you grazed them and then they're they're concussed and just knocked out or or like how do you know you actually killed them? So I always find those things fascinating. Um, maybe uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what, also one of the issues you were saying you saw at Sniper Week to do with fitness. Yes. What was this about? Um, not so much. Not so much Sniper Week. Um, it it was in uh, it was in general in in connection with Sniper Craft. Oh, okay. So back in. Yeah, so back in 2003, um, and this is why in the so in the in the foundations of sniper marksmanship, I have the uh, sniper functional fitness test. Yes, and um, and then uh, in in that book, and then in the patrol rifle book, I also have uh, a um, I've got a section in there on um, on how to perform an exercise called the pill off press, uh, which is you know, I don't know if you've tried it yet, but uh, it's it's actually it's absolutely phenomenal as far as um, personal stability. Because uh, um, through research, I found out that, uh, and <laughs> through my own personal experience, um, sit-ups of any kind are like one of the worst things that you can do to the human body yeah. over time. Yeah, and um, you know, th- this is why this is why so many veteran police and military are walking around looking like a human question mark with uh (laughs) with low back with low back problems because everybody thinks that sit-ups either bent leg or you know anchored unanchored is some kind of abdominal exercise and it it actually it actually uh overdevelops um uh, the hip flexor muscles, which, if you look in an anatomy textbook, uh, look up the look up the muscle called the psoas, P S O A S, and you'll see that it attaches to the front of the hip bone. Yeah, passes passes through you and attaches at the lower spine. This is the muscle that brings your nose to your knees. Yeah, this is many cops have this problem. Yeah. So if you look, because if you look at if you look at the rectus abdominis, all right, the so-called six-pack, it attaches at the bottom of the rib cage and at uh, and at the um, and at the top of the pelvis. So there's absolutely no way that that muscle can bring your knee can bring your your uh, chest up to your knees. All it can do is like curl. So um, so anyway. Um, so yeah, um, you know anything to do with that? You know, outside of the shooting, fitness is a big concern. Um, it, it you know in, in the military and uh, uh, and also in law enforcement. And but you know the thing is, it's like I mean there are a lot of out of shape cops out there. So I think it was like two thousand and two thousand and three. Yeah, 
I got a, uh, I got one of those, I got one of those phone calls from Derek and <laughs> he was, he was about as, he was about as pissed off as I've ever heard him. And it's like, you know, you've had him on the show. I mean, Derek, you know, he, he just doesn't, he doesn't get upset that often. I mean, it's gotta be something significant. So, uh, basically it was like, he'd had a class and the, um, uh, sniper qualification, the sniper craft record fire requires a lot of running and, you know, physical exertion before you make the shot. Okay. And, um, and basically he had a bunch of guys that had failed miserably. So he's like, I want a, I want to come up with a PT test. And he was inspired by the U S Marine Corps had just adopted what they called the combat fitness test, which was based off of functional fitness. And I'm a big fan of functional fitness tests because when I first came in, we had a five event PT test and it had, you know, it had like, um, events like the, the run, dodge and jump. And you had a horizontal ladder that, you know, you had to, uh, uh, traverse, you know, hand over hand and, and, you know, a bunch of other stuff and at one time before I came in. I mean, it, you know, it had a grenade toss. So when you did your, when you, you, yeah. So when you did your PT test to be a soldier, it was like, Hey, at least, you know, at least when we do this, we're going to find out, you know, if this guy's coordinated enough to be able to throw a dummy hand grenade to hit that target. Well, the thing is, it's like, um, in the, in the eighties, the army came up with this stupid, Army physical fitness test, which was three events, which was like push-ups, sit-ups, and a two-mile run. And didn't require any apparatus, um, you know, didn't require any special training, and it didn't actually prove anything. Yeah. And now fast forward, yeah. So now fast forward. I think we're going back to those kind of days though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the thing is, it's like, you know, so fast forward. In Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, you get a, you know, you get a couple of, uh, you know, you get a couple of privates standing around. Platoon sergeant comes in, drops off a pallet of ammo, says, "Here, uh, you and your, you and your uh, partner there, go ahead and uh, hand those, hand those shells up to the guy standing in the tank turret, so he can stow them." And the thing is. You know, you get somebody that scores, you know, a maximum of 300 doing sit-ups, push-ups, and a two-mile run. And when it comes to picking up a can, uh, you know, a tank shell, pressing it overhead, handing it up to somebody, and then repeating it 48 times. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, yeah. So the thing is, it's like, yeah, you know, maybe there is something to this functional fitness thing. And, um, and then we, we got into the whole politics where, uh, um, well, you know, uh, we mandated that, uh, you know, women have to be eligible for combat arms, but, uh, they're not scoring as well on the, uh, on the combat fitness test that the army came up with. So they're, they're taught, you know, they want to, they want to go back to, um, the, uh, three event PT test oh. and yeah. And the thing is, it's like, it was, you know, and it's gender normed, it's gender and age normed. So, um, you know, for so a uh, um, you know a twenty one year old female 
gets the same score for doing you you know fewer on an event than a male, which yeah, you're getting the same points. You know, it's physical. It's physical fitness. I mean, that's you know that that's just that's just anatomy. Okay, I mean that's you know it, it's not measuring what you can do. It's measuring the effort that you can put into it. And I don't have a problem with that. Problem is, is when you know the the three forty third Mongolian horde comes over the hill, and you know the last time I looked, the first point, the first point of performance isn't to drop down and start doing push ups. Okay? Yep. So, um, you know, with a so with a functional fitness test, you know, we were looking at the stuff that. Um, Hey, you know, what does a police sniper have to do on a call out? You know, so we had a, you know, uh, we had a movement to movement to contact where they have to like, you know, run and crawl and everything else. We had uh, an overhead press with a case rifle. We had the plank to measure true core strength. And we had the uh, standing broad jump and then the um, uh, call out endurance. And, um, that's like after everything has been done, you have to, uh, um, you have to run, uh, you know, approximately, um, I think it's like, uh, it's about 400 meters and, uh, you know, with, with your rifle and, um, oddly enough, there was a, uh, uh, and I write, I write about this in the, in the sniper book. There was a guy that was like, well, you know, I, I just don't see the point of, you know, having to do this, this run at the end. And, um, he was a cop in Arizona. And the thing is, it's like, he got called out. He pulled up to the scene. Like, where is it? It's like through there, opens up his trunk, grabs his rifle, takes off running. and. He ran. He had to run 400 meters from his car to where his position was. Yeah, and then set up and take a shot. And then basically, he was just like, "Damn it, Derek was right." So, uh, well, and you're already doing all the other events. Why not just like? Why would you worry about that at the end? Like, just do it. <laughs> oh, because the thing is, it's like so you, um, you know, you you've gone through all of this stuff. You, you've gone through all of these events, and then you have to like, you have to do this you know, maximum effort run yep. carrying your rifle uh, at, at the end of the thing. And it's like, that's, you know, you know, that that's when, um, that, that's when people find out how much they have left in the tank. Oh yeah. After they've done their best. But I'm saying for that on all the other, for that police officer, it's like, you know, you've already gone through all these steps and, and then you're going to just complain on the last event. Like you're already here. You don't just do the test. Why would you be complaining at that point? <laughs> so, but um, one thing I want to make sure, just kind of, uh, I thought I'd maybe get your insight on this, if if you have any, was kind of the future of some firearms, uh, maybe calibers, different things that you're seeing out there, some of the equipment. Do you uh, have any kind of insight on what maybe is coming next? Because I, I watch a whole bunch of different videos and people got like, Oh, I don't even know what they're called, but like magnet guns now, and um, I don't know. Are lasers coming soon? <laughs> I mean, I mean, part part of, part of the problem is is people are just, and this isn't in every case, so you spare me the angry letters. But mm -hmm. 
a lot of people are just engaging in change for the sake of change. And it, it's not like the way I put this is it's not like they're bumping up against the capabilities of the five, five, six or, or the seven, six, two. It's just that, Hey, you know, this guy tinkering around came up with this round and Hey, I happen to like it. Or, you know, I own a rifle that, you know, shoots this and you know, people are looking at it. When you look at the, the wide variety of rounds that are available for, you know, like talking patrol rifle, when you're looking at the wide variety of rounds that are available in five, five, six, it's endless. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, low velocity, high velocity, um, you know, frangible, uh, armor piercing, you know, barrier penetration, uh, stuff specifically for shooting glass. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm getting pretty good results with the, uh, you know, the, the 302 caliber or, uh, you know, um, you know, my, my, you know, the, this, this 302 whiz bang load, you know, <laughs> and, it, and it's just like, I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's just human nature, but for a lot of people, it's just a case of, Hey, you know, this is, this is different. Yeah. The new shiny thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, other than, other than the cool factor, because the thing is, it's like, they're, you know, we had, uh, <clears throat> Back in uh, back in the eighties at, at Fort Bragg, we had this um, uh, you know with with the sniper ammo that we used. You know, it was, it was full metal jacket. Well, the thing is, it's like there was this one hundred and sixty eight grain hotel hollow point match round, which was for like match competition. And what people didn't understand, so people were like, "Oh yeah, th- this is the bullet for us." And um, there was actually a, um, a military lawyer. By the name of Hayes Parks, um, who also passed away, um, and he went ahead and uh, he got authorization for military snipers to use essentially this ballistic hollow point. It was the, it wasn't a true hollow point. I mean, it wouldn't expand or anything like that. It's okay. just the way that it was manufactured. There was just like a little hollow point, and um, the thing is, everybody was like. Oh yeah, you know, because this is an M one one eight special ball, which everybody else is using, we're going to use this high speed uh, match ammo. Well, the thing is, it's like people didn't understand the match that that was created for was the three hundred meter match, and when it came to shooting like five hundred and fifty meters, it turns out that it actually did worse in bucking the wind. Uh, yeah. But because it was a big, because it had this high neat factor and people didn't understand why it existed, they, um, you know, it was like, oh yeah, you know, we, we really love this round and, and, and everything else. And it, and it also, you know, more often than not, because it was a civilian manufacturer, it was like shooting smaller groups. But the thing is, it's like, as far as, as far as sniping went, it's actually more difficult to use. Well, and I guess at the end of the day, it, it again, it comes down to knowing your target. What are you trying to accomplish? And then what what your agency or if you're in the military, you know, what you're trying to do yeah. with the the tools you're given, I guess. So a lot of different factors you got to take in. 
can't just pick the round because it's the new shiny round. Yeah. So let me ask you one. So hmm. um, what's your what's your final verdict on the uh, patrol rifle book? I really like it. Like I was saying, I think we need something like that before you go into these courses. Um, so our carbine course, it's a five-day course. And they're, they're full days. Like you're out there eight solid hours at least. Um, and it, it would be nice to go in, especially so for myself, I didn't have rifles before that. Right. And, and had no training. Um, so you're kind of going in like not knowing what to expect. And I think having a book like that would be something um, that just kind of prepares you mentally for some of the things that you have to look for or pay attention to. Like I said, like if I'm if I have no idea about rifles, and I'm reading the stuff about, um, you know, the the sights and calculating distances and different things like that, that would go over my head. I think maybe some people who are more mathematically inclined than me might get it, but when it came to um, things about fitness, uh, talking about manipulating the rifle, when um. What was the other thing we were talking about? The the characteristics of the patrol rifle target. So just talking about the people you're going to deal with and what you're trying to accomplish by using this system. I think those are all very good things to get you in that mindset. So having these as kind of a, a book at the beginning, it's no different than um, some of the guests I've had on where they talk about their books on like PTSD and some of the things they've gone through on the job. Well, they give those things out to recruits at the kind of the end of their training as they're transitioning into the job. So, you know, we're preparing people like, Hey, here's how your family might have to look at things or, or deal with you or, um, how you can function when you go to some of these critical events. Maybe we have things like that for these courses, these more, um, uh, advanced skill courses, right? Cause not everybody gets the rifle. Right. You usually have for us, you have to have, uh, I think it's still two years. You have to pin. It's called pin, uh, pin level shooter with your pistol. So you just have to show that, you know, you've kept up skills and yeah. kind of been showing up to the range and practicing before they hand you a, another weapon system. So, yeah, I think that's where it kind of fits in. And, and I found it really interesting. So, good. Because what, what I inadvertently created, thanks to Joe. And, you know, this is just dumb luck, so don't think I'm some kind of mastermind. I realized when I finished this book, so with the patrol rifle book, use it, you know, that one is intended for, you know, this is supposed to be the handbook that you, you know, and you give it to somebody ahead of time, but it's like they carry this along with them through their five days of patrol rifle training and they become a patrol rifle operator with the agency fast forward down the road a couple of years they want to try out for the SWAT team and the sniper well the thing is now they get foundations of sniper marksmanship yeah by the same author with a lot of you know with a number of the same chapters and the same principles in it they now have a background in rifle from the patrol rifle book and carrying a patrol rifle in their in their unit and now, when they're transitioning over to being a SWAT sniper, now it's it's a lot you know it's a lot easier 
Um, you don't have to make up so much ground on yeah. basic rifle training. And then, you can, yeah, then you can go into the actual sniper training of, you know, the concealment, the observation, uh, you know, the, ge the general subjects and everything else, along with the advanced rifle shooting with the scope. So now, you know, with, with these two books, it's like a one-two punch. Well, I think the trainers would appreciate it too when you come in and you have some base knowledge and, right. and some basic skills and they don't have to spend, you know, the first two or five days teaching you how to drive the car. <laughs> they can exactly. just, okay, we know you know how to drive a car. Now I'm going to start up here and, and go from right. there. We're going to go to the even more advanced stuff. So, oh, so now everybody can use the same textbook and, um, you know, basically, you know, you know, and, and I don't, there, there's no formal training program in the patrol rifle book, but basically it's a case of, Hey, you know, whatever the agency wants to do with their, you know, their time and resources. Well, I mean, at the very least, I don't know how they buy, what do they put through here? Like a dozen people on a, a carbine course, buy a dozen books, give it to them, see if they, you know, when they read it ahead of time and see what they think. If it works, it works. If they don't think it works, then I guess you just don't buy any more books. But um, I think it'd be useful. I think it's it's a place to start and it's a different idea, something novel. So people should do, you know, something just to push the program ahead. Um, just kind of at the end of our time here, I want to give yep. you the opportunity to say you got any new projects coming up or and where people can follow you and your work. Uh, not at the moment. Um, best place to follow me is on LinkedIn. You you posted you posted the uh, the link to that uh, the yep. last time I was it again yeah and um, but yeah I'm uh, I'm more than happy to uh, you know uh, help people out um, working on uh, working on putting together some courses um, on different subjects um, you know here here in the American South Southeast. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, just uh, keeping busy, seeing seeing what the next yeah Joe 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 has already said he's going to come up with a, a new idea for the next book, so uh, I'm I'm waiting on that. Awesome. Well, I want to say thanks for coming on, and uh, I'll say bye offline. So just uh, hang tight. Thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure.